Please remain standing in honor of God's word. We're continuing on through the book of Proverbs, and this morning we'll look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll read Proverbs 9, verse 10. This is God's inspired and errant authoritative word. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, as we gather together this morning, we say with David, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer us, for we are poor and needy. Be gracious to us, O Lord, for to you do we cry all the day. Gladden the souls of your servants, for to you, O Lord, do we lift up our souls. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach us your way, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Proverbs 10, verse 1 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Imagine that your son fulfills his dream of becoming a, a doctor or a lawyer or concert pianist or a quarterback for the NFL, but he lives like a fool. He rejects God's counsel. He associates with men whose ways are crooked. He's seduced by the adulterous woman, and he squanders his wealth. The net end is shame. Remember, the Bible says a wise son makes a glad father, not a wealthy son or a successful son or a famous son. And since rearing wise children is so crucial, where do we begin? We don't have to guess. Solomon tells us in the climax to his introduction, he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And as we saw in chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is the starting line. And let me hasten to add that the fear of the Lord is not just for children. It is also for adults. Uh, you never outgrow your need to walk in the fear of the Lord. And it's the fear of the Lord I want us to look at this morning under three headings if you're taking notes. Uh, first of all, I want to ask the question, what separates the wise from the fool? And then I want to ask, what does it mean to fear God? And then I want to ask, what are the blessings of fearing God? So let's begin with what separates the wise from the fool? And perhaps the first thing I ought to say right up front is that this word fool is a strong word. Uh, the Bible doesn't use it casually. It doesn't use it flippantly. In fact, in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Jesus said, 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus warned us about calling people fools. But that's not to be understood absolutely, because if you were with us last week, Jesus told the parable of a farmer, and he had such a big harvest that he was wondering where he was going to put his crops. So he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll say to myself, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So God refers to people as fools, people who don't live in light of eternity, who don't take into account living in light of a sovereign God that oversees all events. Now, of course, the Bible uses this term fool, and especially uh, the book of Proverbs. So we want to be clear on what we mean when we're talking about a fool. A fool has nothing to do with a person's intelligence or education. You can have a high IQ and be well-educated and still be a fool. You could be a tenured Ivy League professor and be a fool. You could be a high school dropout, on the other hand, and be wise. Although I want to hasten to add to you high school students, you would not be wise at this very moment to drop out of high school. But it is possible to be a wise high school dropout. Uh, rather, fool is a moral category. It is a spiritual category in the Bible. For example, in Psalm 14:1, the psalmist says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And this is what Paul says in Romans 1, 21 and 22. For although they knew God, meaning from creation because it was clear, all you had to do was look outside and it's obvious that there's, there's a God who created all this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became foolish in their thinking. Their futile hearts became, or excuse me, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They became fools because they didn't glorify God. They didn't thank God. So a fool is a person who lives like a practical Atheists. They live as if there were no sovereign God to reward those who are obedient or to punish those who live in rebellion. For the fool, God does not even enter into his thinking. Wise men and women are the exact opposite. They live with a conscience awareness of God's presence, knowing that they will reap what they sow and that God stores up abundant goodness for those who fear him. Psalm 31, 19. Now, as we consider a couple verses in Proverbs, I want to give you your hermeneutical lesson, and that's your big theological term for the day. Hermeneutics is the art and science of interpretation. 
And what we see in Proverbs 1, verse 7, and the same thing in 9, verse 10, is parallelism. And it would be very helpful to keep this in mind as we go through Proverbs, because we see it literally everywhere. So consider Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here we have parallelism, but it's the exact opposite. So the fool is the opposite of the person who fears God. And then in Proverbs 9, 10, here's another parallelism. But these are parallelisms that are equal to help you understand what each sentence is saying. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the fear of the Lord is the same as a person who has knowledge of God. So to know God, to know the Holy One, is to fear God. And conversely, if you don't know God, you don't know the fear of the Lord. And one thing that is clear as you read through the scriptures, those who know God experientially, not just in their head, but those who know God because they see him for who he is in his holiness, in his sovereignty, in his glory, in his splendor, they tremble before him. In other words, they fear him. Uh, this is what we read in Revelation 1, verses 10 through 17. And this is from the Apostle John. And you'll recall that in his gospel, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, he didn't mean by that, Jesus loves me, he doesn't love you guys, or he loves me more than he loves you. But he referred to himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved because he was awed by the fact that Jesus would love him. Now he is going to have a vision of the resurrected Christ. And notice what he hears and sees and then how he responds. Revelation 1.10, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a, a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. John saw Jesus for all he was in his glory. And we're told that he fell as though dead. I take that to mean, at the very least, that he fainted from seeing Jesus who he was. And if there's anything that separates the wise person from the fool, it's this experiential knowledge of God that will naturally lead to a person 
fearing God? Second, what does it mean to fear God? This is an important question. What does it mean to fear God? Uh, Because the church has, by and large, in our day, focused on the softer, kinder, more loving side of God, I believe some have overreacted by saying, we need to be afraid of God. He's not just loving and kind and, and gentle. He's also the sovereign Lord. He's also holy, and we need to be afraid of him. I want to say that I think that is both wrong and also dangerous. Uh, First of all, it's wrong. Uh, There's an important distinction we need to make between being afraid of God and fearing God. And this is what we find in Exodus 20, 18 and 20. And this is when Moses is on Mount Sinai at the giving of the Ten Commandments and and God shows up and there's thunder and lightning and, and an earthquake. And we read, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, notice this, Do not fear. For the Lord has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. At first, it sounds like Moses is contradicting himself. Fear not. The Lord has come that you may fear him. What is he saying? What he's saying is don't be afraid of God, but fear God. This is what R.C. Sproul says. Martin Luther made an important distinction concerning the fear of God. He distinguished between servile fear and filial fear. He describes servile fear as that kind of fear a prisoner has for his torturer. Filial fear is the fear of a son who loves his father and does not want to offend him or let him down. It is a fear born of respect. When the Bible calls us to fear God, it is issuing a call for a fear born of reverence, awe, and adoration. That's a very important distinction. So when I talk about the fear of God and the Bible talks about the fear of God, I don't want you to feel like, oh, no, i got to cover myself. That's, that's not what we're, we're talking about. This distinction between being afraid of God and fearing God is important. It's wrong. And it also is dangerous. If a person is afraid of God, they will run from God. Think of Adam in the Garden of Eden after he sinned. He was afraid of God because of his sin, so he fled. But if you fear God in the proper sense, when difficulty comes into your life, even when you sin grievously, you will run to him knowing that he will welcome you, embrace you, and forgive you. If you are afraid of God in the wrong sense, you will hate God. You will be like the demons. James tells us that the demons believe in God and they tremble. They believe in God, they tremble for fear, but they hate him. But if you properly fear God, you will love him. 
And I know that it seems like those can be opposed to each other. Well, am I going to fear God or love God? But those go together in many places in the Scripture. I'll give you one example, Deuteronomy 10.12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him. So you know that your fear of God is proper if it is accompanied by loving him. If it's not accompanied by loving him, it's the wrong kind of fear. Now, also, I think to help us get at a proper biblical understanding of the fear of God, um, we can take a look at the things that induce this fear of God. Uh, There's many things, but first of all, uh, consider the power of deity that we might see in an earthquake or a thunderstorm. I love Psalm 29 which I describe as the God of glory thunders. The psalmist is talking about a storm, and God is speaking in the thunderstorms, and it's, it's just like a tornado ripping through a forest, and the trees are lying down on the ground. They're stripped bare. And then we read that all in his temple cry, glory. Not wow, isn't that something? But because they see God in it, they cry, glory. And they stand in awe of God because they see his power in nature. Uh, We should also fear God because he is a God. While he forgives, he also punishes sin. Exodus 33, 18 through 20. Moses said, perhaps my favorite prayer in all of scripture, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said to me, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And we'll come back to that just in a moment. And then in Exodus 34, 6 through 8, the Lord passed before him. And proclaim the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. We should fear God because he can forgive, but he can also punish sin. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you're hearing this talk about fearing God and you're just thinking, he is a God who punishes, uh, you're only seeing one part of what it means to fear God. And I would say, I would like you to see the whole picture. But apart from Christ, there really is only one fear of God. And that is the fear of God to punish. Only in Jesus Christ can we find forgiveness um, away from that fear. And then one other thing that induces fear, and this is often overlooked, and I think this is really important to mention. Something that induces fear is God's goodness and generosity. God's goodness and generosity. 
this is what we see in Genesis 28. This is 12 through 17. And this is the account of Jacob, and he has, he has a vision. And we read, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Anybody know what or who the ladder represents? We're told in John 1, it represents Christ. He is the bridge between heaven and earth. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. But your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. How's that for a wonderful promise? Behold, I am with you. Another wonderful promise. And will keep you wherever you go. Another promise. And will bring you back to this land. Another promise. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Another promise. Promise after promise after promise. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Why was Jacob afraid? Did God say, I'm going to discipline you? Did he say, I'm going to punish you? No, he said, I'm going to bless you this way, and I'm going to bless you this way, and I'm going to bless you this way, and that way, and the other way, from the east to the west, from the north to the south. I am going to bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. And Jacob was afraid. It reminded me of King David. David wanted to build a house for God. And, and God says, tell you what, I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to make you into a dynasty. And one of your descendants is going to sit on your throne forever. And David, he's just, who, who am I? I'm paraphrasing. That you can make such an awesome promise. To me. And he stood in awe of God who would be so good to him. And he was just overwhelmed that God would be that good towards him. It was almost too much for him to take in. And the best biblical word to describe how overwhelmed a person is by such goodness is, is to fear this God. To stand in awe of him and to give him the highest reverence and and adoration. Now earlier I said that Moses prayed, please show me your glory. And, and God had said, I'll pass by you. I'll, I'll let you see the backside of my glory, but you can't see my face. Nobody can see my face and live. Why is that? No one can see my face and live. Think of what we read in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. Speaking of God, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, 
whom no one has ever seen or can see. And again, why can't we see it? Why can't we see it? Why can't we enter into that light? What is it about the light that is too much for us? This is what Jonathan Edwards says. God is arrayed with an infinite brightness, a brightness that doesn't create pain as the light of the sun pains to eyes to behold it, but rather fills, or we could say radiates, with excess of joy and delight. Indeed, no man can see God and live. Why? Because the sight of such glory would overpower nature. Tis because the joy and pleasure of beholding would be too strong for a frail nature. Why can't you see the face of God and live? Because the ecstasy that you would enjoy would be too much for your frail nature. Often we read that and we think we can't see God because his holiness would incinerate us. And although I have no doubt that that is probably true as well, Edward says it's the magnitude of the joy and the pleasure that we would see and experience that would be too much for us. It is a reminder that God is so good. We can't even fathom it. And it will take us all of eternity to understand just how good God is to us. And when we see God, not only in the power of nature and in his forgiving and punishing sin, but in his goodness, we can't help, we can't but help to tremble before him because it's too much for us. Now last, I want us to ask the question, what are the blessings of fearing God? How much time do we have? What are the blessings of fearing God? Let me just give you three quickly. First of all, it inspires bold evangelism. 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Why don't you witness as I should? Why don't you witness as you should? Perhaps it's the same reason why I don't witness as I should. It's fear. I'm going to look stupid. It's, it's the fear of man, but the fear of God would, would overcome that. And, and if I feared God more, then I would, like Paul, try to persuade men. The fear of the Lord will help us with that. So a blessing that results is, is bold evangelism. Another blessing, it gives us courage to defy ungodly governmental decrees. The government can be scary. They they have the power of the sword, after, after all. In Exodus 1, we have a wonderful example of the midwives who feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. King of Egypt said, when baby boys are born, I want you to kill them. But they let them live because they feared God. How did God view that? And because the midwives feared God, 
He gave them families of their own. How could they defy this tyrant who had the power of life and death at his disposal? They feared God. We're going to honor God first, and whatever the king does to us, the king does to us. We leave it in the hands of a, of a sovereign God. And then one other example, blessing that comes from fearing God. It enables us to live fearless lives. Let's just cover everything. It enables us to live fearless lives. This is the paradox. Fearlessness comes from the fear of the Lord. Fearlessness comes from the fear of the Lord. Matthew 10, 27 and 28. Jesus says to his disciples, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. But if we do that, we might, we might get in trouble. It could be dangerous to preach the gospel with that kind of boldness. Jesus went on to say, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus is saying, fight fear with fear. The fear of the Lord will help you to be fearless in the face of men. There's, there's a wonderful story that I told you a while back, and forgive me for repeating myself, but it beautifully fits what Jesus said here, and you'll see why in a moment. But it's the story about the English reformer Hugh Latimer. He was burned at the stake along with Bishop Ridley on October 16, 1535. A few years earlier, he preached before King Henry VIII. And here's what you need to understand about King Henry VIII. He was brutal. He had many wives and mistresses. And he was hot-tempered. You were a brave woman if you married Henry VIII because you had a one in three chance of being killed. Hugh Latimer chose for his text, for King Henry VIII, whoremongers, and adulterers, God will judge. And before the king, he held nothing back. And when he finished, the king said, Next Sunday, you will apologize and take back what you said. Hugh Latimer thanked the king, and he left. Next Sunday, Latimer stood before the king, and said, Hugh Latimer, thou art this day to preach before the high and mighty Prince Henry, King of Great Britain and France. If thou says one simple word that displeases his majesty, he will take off thy head. But then he said, Hugh Latimer, thou art this day to preach before the Lord God Almighty, who is able to cast both body and soul into hell. Therefore, tell the king outright. And he did so with no apology. King Henry didn't end up taking off his head. 
Instead, he respected him for his boldness. One thing that separates Christians from unbelievers is our knowledge of God, which finds expression in the fear of the Lord. And, and, and this fear of the Lord is based not just on his, his power and nature and to punish sin, but his, his goodness to us. And when we grasp that, when we experience that, we will experience many blessings that the Lord will bring our way. Let's close in prayer. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. And again, we pray with David that you would teach us to walk in your ways. And I do ask for all of us that you would unite our hearts to fear your name. For Christ's sake, amen.